let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning. Lord, the only thing we want to do this morning is just to be in your presence. In that presence, Lord, I pray that you will help us to worship you, to understand you, to, to find out, Lord, just even more who we are in you and who you are for us, Lord. I really pray that for us this morning. I pray that we find out, Lord, something new about you this morning. Is that you, Lord? <laughs> you are the light. So, Father, I thank you for bringing us here safely this morning and help us in our worship. Amen. This morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came to lick his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, there's quite a lot going on in here, and this is going to probably be about an hour and a half. So, I hope you're sitting comfortably, uh, and if you're not, tough. So, Luke's Gospel, this is a, another parable of Jesus. It's an additional teaching. Chapter 16 is pretty much about money, but not necessarily in the way you think about money. Now, here we have a rich man and we have a poor man. And rather uniquely in this, Jesus has named the person, one of the people in it, Lazarus. It's not his friend Lazarus. It's just someone who shares the same name. Now, Lazarus means 
Ah, no, I won't tell you that just now. This Lazarus is a poor man. He is afflicted with some sort of skin disease. So maybe leprosy, but he's got sores all over him. He's not looking great. He's not feeling great. He has no money. And according to this, he lives off of the stuff that this rich man throws away. Now, back in the day, around this time, they would have huge banquets. These rich people would put on these huge banquets and they would be almost public affairs. They would want to be seen to be luxuriating in the comfort of their homes so they would invite people to come along and even stand around and watch and peer through windows. Now, what they would do is... Who remembers Henry VIII? I mean, not personally, but <laughs> you remember Henry VIII, right? And there's always in those films, you see Henry VIII, a great gargantuan man, bearded, very handsome, eating chicken, like a chicken leg or something, <laughs> and then throwing it, yeah? That's the kind of image we have, just in wasting take a bite, oh, throw it away. Well, you know what? They would do stuff like this. They would, the rich back then, some of the rich, not all of the rich, would just, you know, throw tasty morsels, expensive food away as a kind of, like, I'm so rich, I don't even care I'm throwing this on the floor. Well, that's what Lazarus lived on. He lived on the scraps that he could snaffle away, that he could grab. So he wasn't in the best of places. This rich man, on the other hand, was doing all right, thank you very much. It says he was wearing purple. Now, purple was a very expensive colour. It came from a dye that was from a special mollusk that had to be boiled and then ground down to make this purple dye. It was extremely expensive. If you were wearing purple in those days, you were mega rich, stinking rich. And he also had fine linens. So you'd have big purple outer clothes and they'd have lovely linens and perhaps silk underwear and all that kind of stuff. He was a very wealthy man. And there's a bit of geography to this because we have Lazarus and him sharing a same space. We have the rich man in his big palatial home in grounds. There's a gate and outside of the gate is Lazarus and inside is the rich man. And the rich man knows Lazarus is there and Lazarus knows the rich man is there. But there's a gate between them. There's something keeping them apart that the rich man has put in place to keep undesirable chaps like Lazarus out. Because when you're rich, you don't want the poor stinking up your place all the time, only when you want to show off. So what happens? Well, Lazarus dies in the street, just drops dead. Also, the rich man dies, other side of the gate. Now remember, this isn't an actual event. This is a parable. This is a story told to illustrate a point. So they go to the afterlife. It says Hades in here, which is I mean, generally in sort of Greco-Roman and Hebrew culture, Hades is kind of just this place where the good and the bad go. It's this kind of like 
not necessarily a place of torment. It's just the underworld, the other side. But that's the Greco-Roman, that's the Greek and the Roman kind of a culture. That's their thinking, not necessarily fully Jewish in their thinking. But this Hades that Jesus talks about is a place of punishment for the wicked. So this rich man who carped it wakes up in this place of fire and is being tortured. He's in absolute agony. And then he's writhing around, he looks over, and in the distance he sees Abraham. Remember Abraham, the kind of the founding father of the, the Jew, the Israelites, and all that, Abraham and Sarah and all, Isaac and all that, right back in the early, early, early Old Testament. Well, he looks at him, looks across, and he sees him. So we know something about this man, don't we? He knows who Abraham is. Ah, interesting. He didn't just think it was an old guy with a beard. He's, nope, that's Father Abraham. I know who that is. That's Father Abraham. So he's got an awareness of Scripture. Now, this is important. He knows Scripture. And he looks over and he sees Lazarus, this poor beggar guy. We assume fully restored, no more suffering, all healed. And he's sitting at the table with Father Abraham. Now, where you sit in, in like the Hebrew Jewish culture, where you sit at a banquet is very important. A bit like at a wedding. You know, you have your top table where all your important people go, i.e. the people that paid for it all. Um, they go at the top table and then your proles, well, they just go over there. I mean, you know, Uncle Jeff, he goes over there. The further back you go, the less important you are. And there's Lazarus sitting at the head table next to Father Abraham. What an amazing, privileged position to be in. Wow, this guy obviously was seriously holy. This guy seriously loved the Lord and was given a place at Father Abraham's side. So, rich guy looks over, sees that, and it's really important that we look at what his reaction is to Lazarus. Now, he doesn't talk to Lazarus. He says, hey, Lazarus, all right, mate, remember me? Yeah, rich bloke, I was the other side of the fence. He doesn't do that. He talks to Father Abraham. Uh, excuse me, Father Abraham, hello. Yes, yes, me. Um, <laughs> seems to be a bit of a mistake. I'm over here being burnt to cinders, and that poor guy over there is in my seat. And Father Abraham says, uh, no, I don't think that's right at all, actually. So, well, could you, uh, could you maybe send, send Lazarus over here? I'm very thirsty. It's frightfully hot over here. My mouth's rather dry. If you could just send Lazarus over with a baby glass of water, just dip his hands in, just rub my tongue until I'm re fully refreshed. That would be wonderful. Father Abraham says, uh, I'm sorry, no. Ah, uh, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you send that Lazarus chap? 
I said, I've got some family and friends that I'd really rather like, be looked after. Why don't you send that Lazarus chap to go back to Earth and just warn my family that, you know, there's, oh, we're all going to be burned on this side, uh, and maybe save them. And Father Abraham says, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'll tell you for why. Because they have Moses, and they have the prophets. They have the book. They have all of the stories. They have all the teaching. If they want to change their lot in the afterlife, if they want to be on the right side of the gate when they die, well, they can use this. If I send someone back from the dead to tell them, they won't even listen to that. If they're not willing to listen to the prophets and Moses and the law, they'll just go, sorry, no, don't believe it. Not, I'm not having this risen from the dead malarkey. Can you see what the rich guy's attitude was? Even in death, in the afterlife, he was treating Lazarus like a slave. He would not even talk to Lazarus. I'm going to go straight to the, the head guy. I'm going to talk to you. Even though Lazarus is sitting at the same table, is given equal status, as Abraham, he still is holding on to prejudice. The prejudice is what got him there. Not being rich. Rich did not get him into hell. You don't go to hell for being rich. But it doesn't help you to get to heaven. You see, the rich guy was treating Lazarus exactly the same in heaven as he was on earth. He couldn't see that Lazarus was actually a good man, a holy man, a man of God. And do you know what Lazarus's name actually means in Hebrew? God helped. God helped. That was a tag over him. Lazarus was helped by God. There's a bit in here that says about uh, Abraham says to the rich guy, you got what you deserve. You had all these things. But it doesn't say that Lazarus suffered because of what he did. Let me read it to you. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. He didn't receive his bad things. You see what, he did? See what they, the text is saying there? You received your good things. Those good things are what you were owed. They were yours. You owned those good things. But Lazarus received bad things. Not Lazarus received his bad things. Lazarus didn't deserve to be ill. He didn't deserve to be poor. It was just his lot in life. But he was still, as we see him sitting at that top table with Abraham, he was still 
a good man. In his heart, he was obviously, and according to his name, he was being helped by God. And who is helped by God? Well, people that put their trust in God. People that love God. People that understand who God is. He will help them all day and all night. But those who put their trust in earthly things, well, their lot in life is not going to be as good. You see, the rich man was prejudiced. He could have done something really good with his status, his power, his money, but he chose not to. He put a divide between himself and the Lazaruses of the world. He had a gate. He walled himself away and said, well, I'm all right, Jack. Screw you lot. He put a divide in place that Lazarus could not cross and he had no desire to cross. So when he gets to the afterworld, he thinks he can just come through. I'll just go, I'll I'll come over here. No, no, okay, well, you come to me. And Abraham says, no, I'm sorry. There's a divide between us and you, and I'm sorry, but you cannot come over here, and we cannot go over there. That is the lot here. Your prejudice, I'm afraid, rich man, has put another divide in place. Only this one is rather more permanent and eternal. So what's the challenge for us? What does Jesus want us to learn from this? Who is he talking about? Who is he talking to? Well, if we go back into chapter 16 a little earlier, we have the parable of the shrewd manager. And a parable where he explains about debts and, and being shrewd with money and all that kind of stuff. And you see, there's, I mean, my Bible's in red. I've got the, the, the idiot version, so I can always see where Jesus is talking. It's all in red. And there's this little black bit in the middle, which is just described. This is not Jesus' words. The little black bit says, The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. Jesus was saying about this rich man and this Lazarus in front of the Pharisees. And we all know the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious people of the time. They were the ones who held up the law. They were the ones who helped people. Well, say help people. They actually made them feel bad about the law. You, you know, we keep the law, you don't. We're holier than you. They were very stubborn. They were very pompous. They're like, well, we're with God, but you lot, you peasants, you're not. They were the rich man. They were the rich man in this parable because they, had, they thought they had all this wealth. They did love money. They were slightly powerful. They did have more money than most people, but they thought they were rich in God as well. They thought they were holier. They thought they had all these riches. But actually, they were just prejudiced. They were pompous. They threw people out. They didn't want people, Gentiles, 
people that weren't Jewish, oh no, you, so I'm terribly sorry, but you cannot have any kind of contact with God. Get back. Who the dickens do you think you are? They were the prejudiced ones. Jump forward 2,000 years. Who are the ones that could be prejudiced now? Oh, maybe it's us. Maybe we have this feeling inside us where I'm all right, Jack. But you lot over there, oh, I can't abide what you do. I can't, I can't stand what you do. No, sorry, I'm just going to move away from you. I'm putting a divide between you. Not having it, sorry, no. I go to church. I'm a Christian. I'm pretty much perfect, thank you very much. You, on the other hand, walking around in your hot pants, grow up, man. <laughs> That's where the prejudice goes. That's where the prejudice goes, right there. Does God say, hate gay people? Does he say, despise them, keep them away? Does he say, trans people, we don't want to know you? Keep away from us, you filthy beasts. No. Does he say, put a divide between you? Not in the way we think. We need to know who we are, yes. But that does not mean that we are prejudiced. That does not mean that we do not offer love to people. That does not mean that we get to choose who we like and who we do not like. God has no patience for prejudice. What is it that Jesus said? The two most important commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your mind, all of your body, all of your strength, and all of your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. We need to be, as a church, as Christians, we need to love beyond our own capabilities of love. We have to put aside who we are inside and be Christ-like. We cannot, we cannot and we must not, for our own salvation, be prejudiced in any way. That doesn't mean we have to change who we are and accommodate and change God's laws, change God's word, no, but it does mean we have to love. It does mean that we have to break down a divide and it does mean that we have to cross over and welcome and love and care and nurture. And if we show love and respect and commitment to people, not just the gay community or the trans community or any of those other letters that they have now, I'm talking about everyone, poor people, you want to go old school, working class, middle class, upper class, 
the three, there's no crossover there, but there needs to be. We've had a class system in this country for so long that's there to divide us. Most people could look at another person and work out their class in an instant by what shoes they're wearing, what clothes they're wearing, how are they wearing them, how do they speak, what sort of accent do they have? Is it a regional accent? Are they, do they speak in received pronunciation? Are they publicly educated, privately educated, state school educated? All of these little judgments we have and the prejudices we have. We have to keep ourselves in check all the time. It's so easy to slip into stereotypes. And because once you've stereotyped someone, once you go, well, I know exactly what sort of person that is, you wipe them off. You don't want to know them anymore. What's the point? I know exactly what you're like. Well, that's not what Jesus said. We have to love them. If they refuse our love, if they say, I'm sorry, but no, it's not for me, leave me alone, go away. Do we pursue them? No. Just like Jesus said, if you go there and you give them the message and you show love and you show compassion, but if they don't want to know, then just go, okay. Wipe the dust from your feet and move on. That's fine. Maybe it's not their time just yet. Maybe your actions were that little drip in the bucket. That's a good way of understanding what you must do when you're with other people in the community, in your family. Sometimes it's not your job to make them a Christian. You might not be the person that actually brings them to a place of repentance. But you could be a help. You could be a drop in the bucket. And once that bucket is full and it overflows, that's when they're brought to repentance. So it's so important that we maintain our Christ-like nature that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we see ourselves, maybe not just as the people that will bring these people to faith, but also that we may just be the drip in the bucket that helps to fill it. We might be one little piece of the puzzle, but we have to love. We have to love beyond our ability to love. The rich man, he didn't do that. He had all the time and the money to sit down and to study. He could have picked up the scriptures and read them and understood them, but he chose not to because he was in a place of safety. He chose not to. What I want for you, what I want for us, what God wants for us is to be people without prejudice. People who do not seek to divide and put up barriers. We break barriers down through the power of the Holy Spirit. We break barriers. We crumble fortresses. We shout at walls and they crumble. There is no divide that we can't cross if we're close to him. So that's my challenge for you. To look into an area of your life where you could be the rich man. Is there something in your life right now 
that is a rich man standing behind a fence, sneering. Perhaps you're Lazarus. Perhaps you're suffering. You're going through turmoil. You're sick. You're distressed. You're losing people in your life. Life is not great for you at the moment. Perhaps you're Lazarus. Perhaps the only thing that is holding you up is that mustard seed of faith. Well, if that is you, hold on to that mustard seed. Hold on to that mustard seed because that mustard seed is the key to crossing the divide. You will be sitting at that table, restored, resplendent, Hold on to the mustard seed. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Father, we thank you for the parables of Jesus who, who came, Lord, to show us the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Father, we thank you that you died for us. We thank you, Lord, that in, even in this parable, you saw how people would not even believe that someone could be risen from the dead. And even if they saw it, they still wouldn't believe. And Lord, I thank you that we believed. I thank you, Lord, that we experienced the presence of God, that you opened our eyes. And I pray now, Lord, for anyone here this morning that is seeking your face, is seeking your presence, is seeking the forgiveness of their sins, is seeking to understand why it is, Lord, that you died for them personally. I pray now, Lord, that you would just speak to them, that you will open up their hearts, you will open up their eyes, and let them see you cross that divide. Counted now, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.